welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. With season 44 just around the corner, we thought it would be fun to take a look back at some of the SNL-related news that dropped over the summer. We'll be discussing SNL taking over the Emmys, season 44 cast changes, and Baldwin staying on for yet another season as Trump. I'm John Murray, and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude, Steve Finn. And we're also joined this week by veteran podcasters Mike Bloom and Mario Lanza of the SNL Funhouse Recap Podcast. You can connect with Mike and Mario on Twitter at amikebloomtype and at MarioJLanza, respectively. And if you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. Well, Mike, Mario, welcome to the cast. Thank you. I'm We're happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with your SNL podcast because it is one of the top rated ones out there and it's been around for quite a while uh, with various hosts over the years. Um, but what they might not know is that you guys have other podcast ventures, other TV coverage that you guys do. So do you want to get the audience a little bit acquainted with uh, what you guys have cooking? <laughs> I think you might regret that considering the amount of material I put out there. Uh, yeah, so my name is Mike Bloom. Uh, I am a reality TV podcaster as well as a writer for The Hollywood Reporter and Parade.com. Uh, in terms of the podcast sphere, as I mentioned before, I cover a lot of reality television, specifically Survivor, Big Brother, The Amazing Race, Top Chef. I also do coverage of some scripted shows, including uh, Westworld, Stranger Things, Fargo, and yes, SNL included as well. Uh, I do a movie podcast, and like I said before, uh, I, I do a lot of writing for The Hollywood Reporter and Parade.com and various entertainment-related things, whether it's exit press from reality shows or general musings about our pop culture sphere. Uh, I'm usually talking about TV somewhere at some point in time, and one thing that Mario and I do together, aside from the SNL Funhouse podcast, is something that I was very grateful that Mario sort of brought me aboard and got me involved in this crazy fun activity that is podcasting all those many years ago the survivor historians <laughs> where we go chronologically through the show survivor we just finished up the 19th season so we're only about you know nine or ten years behind uh, the actual <laughs> run of survivor at this point but we're, t- we're taking our time with it it's it's a lot of fun it's you know four guys much like ourselves right now getting together to just sort of you know uh talk about what's happening at the time give our thoughts on things after a rewatch etc mm-hmm when I uh, got married, my wife and her family were very much into Survivor and watched every episode for you know the first 15, 20 seasons, whatever it was at at the time. And I'd never watched an episode except maybe the finale of season one because that was you know a huge thing at the time. Um, so I knew nothing about it, but it kind of became required viewing because she watched it religiously and there's just no way to avoid it. So at a certain point, I went back and tracked down every episode ever and watched them religiously end to end. And I got to tell you, that is an experience <laughs> that will change a person. <laughs> like that is, that is just like way too much social politics to like binge watch and just immerse yeah. yourself in. And I've never been quite the same since. So I respect anyone that takes on that challenge. 
Yeah, I, I'm glad I noticed that you did not uh, ascribe an adjective to your viewing experience. <laughs> sure. I think that says all all you need to because you know things vary in quality. But I mean, I feel like you're speaking Mario's language right now, considering that like he really <laughs> lives in that time period of those early days, including that season one finale. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of Survivor Overload, that that will lead in nicely to my biography, which I'm not <laughs> sure you guys know this. Mike knows this. I am more of a writer than a podcaster. I was one of the original writers, people doing columns about Survivor back in the early days, back mm-hmm. in 2001. And I have basically been writing about Survivor ever since, to the point that I'm probably the most widely read Survivor writer in the world over the years. And I have been writing strategy columns, just the history of Survivor. I have a book <laughs> on Amazon called uh, When It Was Worth Playing For, which is the history of the first three uh, seasons of Survivor. Okay, And eventually I, I put together a website called The Funny 115, which is a countdown of the funniest moments on Survivor. And that was just something little that I did in my MySpace blog about 15 or 12 years ago. And over the years, that website has now acquired almost 4 million readers. It's insane how big that got. And eventually I started doing other projects. I started a podcast called Survivor Historians. And that was really because there was all this history on this TV show Survivor and nobody seemed to know it. Mm-hmm. And like all we knew fans that just didn't know the history, didn't know the context of why the show developed the way it did. So I put together this podcast with a couple of friends. We had a contest about midway through our run to add a fourth member to Survivor Historians. And lo and behold, this little Rocky Balboa-like underdog, Mike Bloom, shows up out of freaking nowhere. And That's he comes the out only there. time in my life I'll ever be compared to Rocky Balboa, by the way. <laughs> so, yeah, we have like 20 people interviewing for a spot on Survivor Historians, and Mike made me laugh so much. And that's really all I care about on podcasts, is if the other person can make me laugh. Sure. And Mike just had me laughing so much, I brought him in. So we we do histor- Survivor Historians. And then since then, I started another podcast called Staff Picks, where I just talk about my favorite movies over the years. The ones that I think need a little more love, a little more attention, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then Mike and I just kind of threw together this SNL podcast last year, and it developed into something pre- pretty big, even though, A, we put in minimal effort, and B, we hardly prepare whatsoever. It's, we're just winging it, basically. <laughs> so so here we are. We're Now we're all together doing this. So I'm very excited to be here and joining you guys. Excellent. So uh, I'm always excited to get like bonafide SNL nerds to come on our cast you know, particularly when they know their way around a microphone. So you guys definitely qualify, but um, we actually have a little bit more of an exciting reason why we decide to get together tonight. So Mike, perhaps you can let our audience know about what we've got cooking for our coverage of season 44. Yeah, this is not a visit. We are <laughs> moving in. So uh, for those of you that were following the <laughs> SNL Fun Cows podcast at the end of last season, you know that we wanted to finish out season 43. As you guys had said, uh, much like, you know, Siskel and Ebert uh, hosts kind of rotated in and out over the course of the SNL podcast and it moved mm-hmm. between hosts as well. So at the end of the season, we were both saying, okay, you know, we want to finish that out and we'll come back at the end of the summer and really think about, you know, how we want to approach coverage, if any coverage moving forward, because Obviously, from the, the uh, past you know twenty minutes, Mario and I have a lot of things cooking, and we want to make sure that if we do commit to something, you know, we, we give it enough attention so that people who really do care about the show are able to to listen to it. And unfortunately, I think just with availability going on, I don't know if we were have been able to put out twenty one, twenty two episodes over the course of this season. But we found a nice little symbiosis here with another (laughs) fantastic SNL podcast. So essentially what's going to happen here is that you're going to be hearing from Mario and I on the After Party podcast from now on, but it's not going to be every week. What's essentially going to happen is 
every so often, you know, SNL is going to be doing their like three, four week spurts and then they'll take a break. And during those off weeks, Mario and I will come on and sort of give our takes on the past few weeks. For those of you that were following the old SNL podcast that we were doing, it was very akin to like what Rich Tackenberg and I were doing in the beginning of 2017, just sort of doing like not necessarily recapping the past few episodes, but sort of talking about highlights, lowlights, things that stuck out, favorite moments, least favorite moments, etc. Just a way to nicely package, you know, the streak of three or four shows before we move into the next one. So too long, didn't listen. Uh, we are <laughs> moving into the SNL After Party podcast to do some uh, every few weeks or so wrap ups of the previous batch of episodes. A state of the union, if you will. This is kind of like your backdoor pilot. Yes, sure. <laughs> or better yet, this is the Avengers of the entire SNL universe. <laughs> it's one podcast to rule them all. That's what we're talking about here. Um, so, yeah, this is going to be sort of a month in review, a state of the show, um, giving fans sort of a, a broad brush, high level view of where the show is at, what's working, what isn't without necessarily dissecting every sketch. It'll very much be about highlights and lowlights and just really the standout moments that are driving the season. Yeah. yeah, I, I see. I struggled last year with our weekly podcast just because, like, I, I, I'll give my backstory. I haven't missed an episode of SNL since like 1985. <laughs> I have this big Lou Gehrig streak going of Iron Man here, but I don't necessarily care about every sketch. Like, there's some, it just starts and I'm like, I'm not going to be interested in this and I'll just kind of zone out. So mm-hmm. when I had to talk about every single one, it was a little, it wasn't the way that I watched the show. So I, I didn't really feel comfortable. So this is much more, I think would be best for the two of us because you can just go in there. Like, how is the show doing? How has it progressed in the last four weeks? What are the trends? What do you think's working? What's not working? Right. And you don't have to do get into the minutia. So I think it's, it'll actually be very helpful for us. Exactly. And that's why this is such a, a win-win, you know, synergy situation. Uh, pick your buzzword because Steve and I will have the nitty gritty stuff covered. You know, we do do a deep dive and try to dissect sketches at sort of a more technical performance, you know, level <laughs> and really get a little myopic about how we look at the show. So for the audience to be able to just take a breather from the show for a couple of weeks and just have sort of a, a, a more just high level perspective on mm-hmm. uh, where the shows at and and really what was fun about the last few weeks i think that's going to be just a nice change of pace and just sort of a different gear for the off weeks that uh i hope our audience can dig and get into yeah and right off the bat i'd like to thank you guys for doing all the dirty work so we don't have to yeah so thank you <laughs> yes we love doing the dirty work <laughs> all right and on that note we are going to jump into some snl news you guys ready Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. So to start with, NBC has announced that we are getting Adam Driver back for his second outing as host of the season 44 premiere, along with musical guest Kanye West. So uh, let's start with Mario on this one. Uh, is there <laughs> anything about this lineup that is exciting you? Oh, this is right up my alley. I personally believe Adam Driver was maybe the best host of the last, you know, four or five years. I love that episode. I can recite it like almost from start to finish. I thought he was very strong. I loved him in the genie on the carpet sketch. I really loved him in the, uh, the French, uh, animals hidden mm. videos. Kids. That's um, yeah. The boy fun, funniest cats with the, uh, with the, uh, with the French people. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes. Finn <laughs> Reynolds beads. Yes. So I am so excited about Adam Driver. He was like right at the top of my list for people I wanted to come back and host again. And I will say this, I don't know, I don't want to ramble too much, but I've seen some people complain about this. They're like, well, why is he there? Like, what is he plugging? It doesn't make sense that he's hosting. And this is a mindset that I've never understood because like in five years, no one's going to care what he was here plugging. Sure. In five years, everyone's going to say, oh, they brought back Matt, the radar tech. 
Right. So to me, this is like the ultimate present for me as an SNL fan that Adam Driver's coming back. He may or may not do Undercover Boss again. I don't know. But I just think he was fantastic the first time. And I'm very excited to see him a second time. And on, in terms of musical guests, it's very – I make no secret about this. I, I never watch the musical guest on SNL. <laughs> I don't care. All I care about is sketch comedy and comedy writing and stuff. So mm. it was so awkward for me to have to talk about the musical guest with Mike when we were doing recaps. Right. So I'm so excited now. I don't have to care about the musical guest anymore. So <laughs> I have no thoughts on Kanye. I will fast forward through it, whether he's controversial or not. I have no interest in it. So to me, it's the Adam Driver episode. Very excited to see him again. Excellent. Yeah, he did deliver a solid outing last time. Absolutely. Um, Mike, anything to add on that? I mean, Adam Driver is probably one of my favorite actors that sort of came out of the blue in the past five years or so before he came onto SNL uh, I had been watching the first two seasons of girls and he just he is so good on it and I was really you know happy to see that people like Mario who had not necessarily seen him in other projects were so happy to see how he delivered on the mm. on the show because I had sort of faith in there beforehand that he's just he's really talented overall. He has that that drama and that pathos that you bring to someone like Kylo Ren, but he's really damn funny and he can he's one of those very rare you know first time hosts that function as both the straight man and the crazy man in that crazy man straight man relationship, which is not usually the thing. Usually with first time hosts, the show is like okay, we're easing you in, you're right, gonna be right. the straight man and you know interact with all the craziness. So that makes me you know very happy and his stock has only risen you know in in the past few years. So I'll be in, really intrigued to see you know especially him as a season opener i know it's not as big of an event as the season finale usually is or even like the shows that come on in the month of may but i still feel like it's a pretty big statement that he's going to come on and host so that makes me excited kanye always provides interesting performances to say the (laughs) least i think i remember uh there was one time when he didn't he perform like heartless and it was just it was god awful it was like he was completely out of tune even by auto-tune standards (laughs) And then obviously, uh, considering, you know, uh, his social media action and the things he was he's been supporting or been right. vocal about in the past six or so months, uh, I'll be intrigued to see a if it's addressed and B if Kanye will, you know, make an appearance, if he'll be one of those mu- musical guests that does something. And I remember right. like one of the I think the very first time he hosted, I remember it was after the Hurricane Katrina, George Bush doesn't care about black people scandal and there was mm-hmm. uh they actually brought in mike myers and it was like they were backstage and they reenacted <laughs> that moment yeah right I, I so i i don't know if they'll if they'll you know bring him out to do something like that but you know when you have a performer who has that sort of larger than life personality the show does sometimes like to ha- bring them out and do stuff there would be strange to have driver and west also share the stage at the same time uh yeah yeah i don't really know how that uh sort of like oil and water situation is going to mix um but we shall see yeah kanye is one who in the past has been up for popping in on uh usually pre-tape bits like he did one with kyle mooney i think on his last outing oh yeah that was the uh the rap battle i remember now so there is some some opportunity there uh with him as musical guest adam driver you're absolutely right he was the up-and-comer last time he hosted but now he is you know a, a serious SNL host and they're going to be able to be a little more adventurous with the material. And I hope that they come up with something that is really um, equal to what he can bring performance wise. Uh, Steve, you got anything to build on this before we move on? Well, I'm, you know, to say the least, I'm excited for September 29th for sure. Sure. I've been a fan of Adam driver ever since I've seen star Wars. Uh, unlike some of you guys, I did not see girls. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was my first impression of him, but I did love him in the role, and when I finally saw him on SNL, I thought, damn, this guy is one of the best in a, in a while. Mm-hmm. 
love the Kylo Ren bit in the uh, episode itself. I felt that was a great subtle twist on a otherwise intense <laughs> character, but right. able to make it still recognizably that character from Star Wars, but put a comedic spin on it, make yeah. it work in a, you know, in a sketch environment. Uh, I'm not sure if it was Mike or Mario who, who was mentioning the uh, undercover boss sketch, but that might actually work as a recurring bit. Absolutely. I never thought of it until that was brought up, but that would be great to see again. I'm on board for that. I don't know if you guys saw the outtakes. The outtakes were funnier than the sketch. You can see them on YouTube that they didn't even yeah. use in the sketch. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. They were. I saw that. Uh, uh, as for Kanye, I mean, Kanye should be so thankful that SNL is there. <laughs> it seems to be the one outlet that he's able to be a part of and actually kind of poke fun at himself. Right. Because he is a polarizing figure. You know, without SNL and the relationship, fickle as it may be, without that relationship, he would not have that outlet to kind of poke fun of it himself and kind of mm. do a little bit of PR. Right. Yeah, it is very good PR for him. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's nothing to do with him performing on the show. I know. Uh, hey, he's been hit and miss. So let's see. Uh, he might be having a good month, bad month. We'll see <laughs> where he's at and what he decides to bring on the stage. All right. So bottom line for all this, I think we're all in agreement that uh, we'll be tuning in, you know, this exciting, particularly Adam driver. Maybe we can't connect with Kanye quite as much, but uh, (laughs) there's definitely something that's going to be worth tuning in for. And uh, I'm excited. sounds like you guys are. Uh, Let's move on. We have some cast announcements. First off on a sad note, Luke Nall will not be returning for season 44. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I throw to you guys for comment, I'm just going to run through some of the other changes and you guys can kind of all take it at once here. Uh, Mikey day, Alex Moffat and Melissa Villasenor are all now repertory players, which seems fitting that that was something we were all expecting. And Alec Baldwin will be staying on to play Trump. So, uh, let's start with Mike on this one. How do we feel about the cast reshuffling for season 44? You know, it's bittersweet. Uh, Obviously, the sweet part is the promotion of Melissa, Alex, and um, Mikey, especially the latter two. You know, there were some episodes, particularly last season, where they were doing more than some people in the main cast. So I think it only makes sense that they would get promoted. And it does seem like in recent SNL years, uh, this typical sort of hazing process is you come in as a featured player, you you know, do two seasons or you, yeah, you do two seasons as a featured player and then you move up to the main yeah. cast. So if they weren't going to do it last year, it makes sense that they would do it this year. I am happily surprised that Melissa is a still there and be in the main cast, <laughs> just because I know you guys talked about this at the end of your season 43 ramp up. Right. Uh, you know, I think she's extremely talented, especially from an impressionist perspective, but I think they're just sort of in a similar like Sashir Zameda situation where like I just think they're they're having trouble figuring out what to do with her when she's not writing her own material. Right. So I'm hopeful that maybe getting involved with the main cast might give her some more play. Otherwise, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see more Melissa. Unfortunately, this means we will no longer see Luke Null, which is sad. Uh, it, you know, I think, unfortunately, the two things I'll remember him for are arguably his SNL highlight and low light. The highlight was the cut for time sketch in the John Mulaney episode, The Wedding Toast, mm-hmm. uh, where he's essentially singing to John Mulaney about how he's going to run away with his wife. Uh, <laughs> but his low light, which unfortunately did make the air over that, was the episode in, I want to say it was the Tiffany Haddish episode, maybe, where he is uh, the new kid at school and he just... Brody chode. Yeah. Yeah, and he just, and he just <laughs> acts like an to everyone and then there's the the rug pull halfway through the sketch that like he's a new kid and they he doesn't even know anybody in there and he has to deal with the repercussions one of the very rare snl sketches that i feel like did not get a laugh 
whatsoever in recent memory. The audience was just stunned into <laughs> silence, had no idea what was going on, not, not in a Daryl's house type of way. So, you know, <laughs> I feel like in recent years, we have seen people like Jenny Slate and Michaela Watkins, you know, do have their one and done season, but go on to do things in their own venue. So hopefully Luke Knoll will be able to do that as well. Maybe SNL was just not his vehicle. Baldwin is Trump. I mean, it's understandable. Uh, I think my problem is less so with the impression and more so with the writing of the impression. And we'll probably get into that a little bit later. Sure. So uh, suffice it to say, I'm I'm more excited about the promotion of those three cast members in particular than maybe that type of news as to who's staying aboard as the commander in chief. Fair enough. Uh, Steve, are you feeling uh, happy about this news, particularly Melissa Villasenor sticking around? Yeah, we'll keep her on. <laughs> I suppose she's all right. <laughs> all right. There's a hot take. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Okay. What do you got? What do you got? Well, you know, I wasn't totally worried about it because if you can make it to two seasons, that's quite often not the place, you know, you would get cut. Right. I don't know if there's many two seasoners out there uh, versus, you know, one seasoners or three seasoners. Yeah. Can I say one more thing? I was going to sure. tell about Luke Knoll and I just because I want to get this out there. I don't see very many people defending Luke Knoll. I mean, it's kind of one of those things, you know, he was one season and done. He failed. But I really liked Luke Knoll from the minimal time he was on the show. And I just have a little beef to pick with a show that someone like him is not given a second season while someone like Pete Davidson is kept <laughs> along who can literally only play himself in weekend update commentaries and adds nothing to the show other than that. And it's just, I think it's a very short-sighted comedy decision when they start doing stuff like that. So I really, I think Luke offered things to the show. I think he had a lot of potential and it really kind of galls me that Pete stays there when he really doesn't add much other than he plays Pete Davidson. So that was just my one thing I wanted to point out. I feel the same way. Yeah, that's a, a very fair criticism. Unfortunately, SNL, in a lot of ways, it, it kind of, um, what you get out of it as a player is kind of what you put into it. And sometimes it's just trickier to navigate the politics and get writers on your side and uh, making yourself into a player that can be used and has the versatility to uh, thrive on the 17th floor before you get down to the studio. And uh, you know, maybe he just wasn't able to generate enough material to, to really get his breakout moment. And the few moments that he had, he just got really bad luck when it came to sketches getting cut at the last minute or whatever. I mean, it, it is a tragedy, but uh, it's certainly not unheard of at SNL. There's a lot of talented people that go through there that have stunning careers. And for whatever reason, they just didn't gel with SNL. So uh, certainly not a knock at him or his talent, but uh, mm -hmm. you know, he'll have to find his fame elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't want to necessarily, you know, make this about a person's appearance, but it also is interesting sort of tracking the one and done players that we've seen the past few seasons how much between like your uh your John Rudnitsky's <laughs> and your you know your uh, John Milheiser's and now Luke how it's sort of like unfortunately uh you know if you are like an inoffensive white guy who appears <laughs> in these featured players and you don't really make an impression then I think that's that's the show feels it's liable to say okay you know what we we're fine to get rid of you I just think it's a, I don't know how I feel about it but it's an interesting trend sort of comparing Luke to the last few people who have sort of been done after their first season right. That still doesn't explain Pete Davidson. Sure. <laughs> In Pete Davidson's case, uh, because he was able to generate weekend update parts early on, he became a bit of a personality for the show and a bit of an ambassador for the youth, right? Like he, he's drawing people in because he's representing the type of audience that SNL wants to court and get addicted, you know, to watch for the next 10 years of their life or whatever. So there's a strategic reason why Pete's still in the fold, but yes, because so much of the ensemble is made up of 
uh, their core demographic, you know, uh, nerdy white guys mm-hmm. eventually some have to go, right. They always have to trim the fat and they're, they're hiring more nerdy white guys season over season than any other group. So that's often where people have to really kind of fight for their, their place in the cast because you're, you are competing against half a dozen other guys that can do pretty much everything you can do. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Luke Nall was this season's victim of that. Yeah, it's it's again, it's just I like Pete Davidson. I think he's funny in his commentaries, but just from an ensemble comedic right. show, they're stronger with a Luke Knoll than they are with a Pete Davidson. That's yes, my point. yes. Him and Leslie Jones will never be standout sketch performers. They're there because they bring that stand up uh, louder than life kind of personality uh, that mm. you, you kind of want to round out the show overall. It's just their contribution yeah. is not what you typically think of from an SNL player, which is really versatile sketch performance. Yeah, but in Leslie, in Leslie's defense, she can steal a sketch with one line. True. He doesn't do that. And she can also derail a sketch with a botched line. So <laughs> yeah. she's a wild card. The yeah. sword cuts both ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's lightning in a bottle. You take the good with the bad with Leslie. Um, but we have one very exciting cast announcement that I think we want to bite into here. So the show is bringing on UCB improv and sketch performer Ego Nwadam as a featured player. Now, uh, just to give our audience a little bit of background on her, aside from UCB, she had a number of minor television roles over the last few years, and she had a standout performance at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, and she's uh, done some stints on Funny or Die. So uh, she's not unknown, but she's definitely in the category of up and comer. So what do we think? Let's start with Steve on this one. I'm, uh, I'm excited for her. Uh, there isn't a whole lot to go on you know, preceding her SNL career, which is just the nature of how it works there. They tend to go for up and comers, right? but there is some great content for anyone to check out. If, if anyone out there is uh, not really up to speed with her, with her chops, she does a series called egg Kelly on YouTube, which I mm-hmm. uh, watched a few episodes of, and you know, it's got that amateurish feel. Can't blame them. That's, you know, a lot of how YouTube operates. It certainly has a charm to it. And I, I see a lot of strength in the writing, yeah. which she is, you know, pretty much one half of. Um, I can see her writing herself into a lot of sketches. Uh, she seems to play off others well and and has a nice quirky energy. Like we were talking about before with Pete Davidson bringing in, you know, bringing in the younger crowds and, right. and kind of easing in the new generation. She seems to be in that boat, especially for, for more female uh, issues. But she seems very much uh, focused on... Younger issues, kind of millennial roommate stuff. Uh, sure. <laughs> she's, she's, uh, she would be a good fit there for, for the uh, younger SNL fans that are growing into the show. Yes. But unlike Pete Davidson, because she's got uh, UCB cred, she's probably going to be very versatile and hopefully be able to kind of insinuate her way into a lot of uh, sketches and really hopefully distinguish herself. Yeah. Uh, she's got kind of Heidi Gardner in there in the mix too, who seems to be the the go-to featured player for versatility. Um, so hopefully she can distinguish herself in that regard as well. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, let's go to Mike next. You got any thoughts on this? I'm going to make a prediction here. I think that she's going to hit really hard at the weekend update desk. Yeah. I think the Heidi Gardner comparison warrants itself. I think that whether she's appearing as herself, she has that stand up background. So she could very easily do 
uh, you know, what a lot of people do, what Leslie and Pete did, what you even saw someone like Shasir Zameda do back in the day of like just starting as themselves. Mm-hmm. But I think she's got a lot of good character work. She's actually appeared a couple times on Comedy Bang Bang, which the entire onus of that podcast is create this really wacky character and improvise as them. So she could also do an angel thing or, you know, sure. uh, just appears as a uh, Bailey Gizmer, just appear as someone completely different. And I hope she does, because I think that just as we were talking about with Luke Knoll, I think in your first year, you really have to, like, at least pop in some regard right. that has the show sort of warrant keeping you around. We even saw that with someone like Chris Red last year, who, while he didn't necessarily have big bombastic moments, he had that Fresh Prince stuff. He had mm-hmm. stuff with Chance the Rapper and Donald Glover, etc. So he was certainly in there and writing stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I think that hopefully... Ego is going to hang in there as well because she's also the only new person, which is a very, very rare situation. <laughs> she's the newcomer in this group of people that already know each other and work with each other. So hopefully she's able to sort of assimilate in well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Mario, let's uh, let's round this out. What do you got? Yeah, I don't know much about her. I know absolutely nothing about her back history, but I will say the same thing I say about any new cast member that I root for them to succeed. Mm-hmm. I'd say one of the fat, long, you know, fast and hard truths about SNL, if you watch it, you know, I haven't missed since the eighties that it, that's the, the one constant in a show like Saturday Night Live. People join the show, people leave the show, people join, people leave. So it's always exciting when someone new comes in, they're going to be given a chance of a lifetime to make a career out of this. So I will be rooting for her just like I root for everybody. I hope she does really well. And I hope she has a long career on the show. Excellent. Now, the one thing that we didn't really hit too hard, which is worth mentioning, is that she will be coming on as one of only eight African-American female cast members in the history of the show. And so while I don't think we need to go like heavy on the racial angle of all this, because, you know, everybody and their dog has already weighed in on their opinion of SNL's diversity issues. Um, do you feel like with the state of the show right now and the amount of other uh, players of color that they have, do you feel like we're getting to a tipping point where they're going to be able to maybe embrace some new comic sensibilities now that they have maybe a more well-rounded um, black aspect to their ensemble? Does anyone have any great insights on, in in that <laughs> regard? Or am I? Uh... Yes. Ask, ask three white guys what their yeah. insights are. Well, I'm, I'm trying to touch on it because it's worth talking about, but I don't have, like, like you said, you know, as <laughs> a bunch of nerdy white guys, there's only so much we can add to this particular conversation so if anyone has anything brilliant to throw in now's the time this isn't brilliant but i'll be very blunt here is that snl has a very predictable history in that black females tend not to get written for unless they're like leslie jones when they are a very distinct strong voice right so my blunt answer is i think we'll be seeing a lot more black jeopardy sketches and that's probably the extent of what they will try to do with her at the start because that's what snl unfortunately tries to tends to do it tends to they they have always had the harder time writing for the black females so unless something fundamentally changes i don't see her getting a lot of material right off the start unfortunately but to your point, Mario, I think something like Black Jeopardy symbolizes a, a smidge of a paradigm shift, and it's not completely oh, yeah. going. But, but things like Black Jeopardy, even if you're looking at last year, again, I'll point to like the Chance the Rapper episodes and the Donald Glover episodes and the Chadwick Boseman episode as well, which just had a lot of material oriented around African-Americans. And I think mm-hmm. that it was it was a really cool way to look differently. It brought in different voices, considering that, you know, one of the oh, Emmys at SNL won this uh, this year was for Comeback Barack, which was a mm-hmm. song that was a takeoff on like a boy to men song mm-hmm. i think that they're definitely starting to embrace it now i don't know if they're going you know uh they're fully grasping it because they do have so many cast members so many boxes that they need to check but i don't know if ego is necessarily going to tip things in another direction but i, I do feel like they've at least tried to back 
you know, if we're comparing it to what was it like 2015, 2016, where all those op eds were coming out about complaints mm-hmm. about diversity on SNL, understandably so. I feel like we we have shifted since then, but we obviously have, you know, so much more to go. Well, here's my pessimistic response to that. I do not believe that starting to embrace something means continuing to embrace something. I think SNL has started to change the way they do things, but as they say in social psychology, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So I, I do not think SNL has changed that significantly, to be honest. All right. As far as uh, I'm concerned, I, I think it's hopefully an acknowledgement that the show recognizes that there's room for growth in this area. Uh, but I'll take the the middle ground on all this and just kind of say, wait and see, you know, maybe she is the female black player that figures out how to navigate the writer's room and generate and really help to uh, make that shift uh, mm-hmm. with the writers. Like maybe she is going to be that person. Maybe someday there will be someone who actually accomplishes that. We won't know until it happens, whether, you know, whether there's going to be any significant change or movement in that regard. Um, so I'm just hopeful. I'm, I'm excited to see if she can help bring some new voice and new perspective. And if she does, then great. She will have accomplished what the seven previous black African-American female cast members are certainly rooting for her to do. So, mm-hmm. uh, hopeful, hopefully optimistic. Mm. Now, before we uh, get on to some Emmy talk, I think it's worth mentioning that SNL also added four fresh writers to the 17th floor. So I just want to welcome them. Allison Gates, Alan Linick, Eli Mandel, and Bowen Yang. Welcome. We want to see great things. So uh, get in the fray, dig, uh, scrap a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. really get your sketches on the pile. Don't, don't be bashful. Make a name for yourself. Uh, we've had some rookie writers really distinguish themselves over the last couple of years. And I hope that some of these guys really step up and bring something fun. Yeah. I hope your voices are heard. Yes. This Bowen Yang fella, he seems like a, like a hoot. Yeah. Uh, that's the one name I recognized uh, just because I'm sort of like, I'm like UCB tangential. I would say I was involved <laughs> in a lot of the indie circuits with there a couple of years ago. So I knew of ego when she was mentioned, even though she's the other coast, but Bowen was also a name that really stuck out to me. I can't for the life of me remember you know, what I've seen him in or what I've, I've uh, seen his work, but that was the one name that did stick out and looking at his social media, I agree. He seems like quite a character. So hopefully that sort of, uh, you know, translates to his writing as well. Yeah. His Twitter is on fire. Uh, <laughs> I've seen him on, what was it? Uh, Broad city. I think he had a big yep. part on that. Yeah. Uh, he's around and yeah, definitely. He's, he's very eclectic. Definitely going to bring a lot of high energy stuff to the show. Yeah. He's the only one that uh, I was aware of as well. He has the Las Culturistas podcast that he does with Matt Rogers and he pals around with Dave Mazzoni and Julio Torres and uh, he's participated in the gamey show and a bunch of other like um, pride oriented stuff. So I have a feeling that maybe uh, Julio was championing him to the show. Uh, But yeah, he's going to he's definitely going to bring something fresh and uh, I'm excited to see what (laughs) what that turns into. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting. eh? Yeah. Okay. So moving on, let's talk Emmys. Uh, last week they dropped and with Jost and Che hosting, uh, the SNL band playing and SNL winning best variety sketch series. I think it would be an understatement to say that it was a very SNL esque Emmys this year. Uh, Mike, you watched them. You are kind of the TV aficionado. So paint a picture here. What did we think of the Emmys? So let me preface this by saying that if you've listened to our podcast before, you know that generally I'm a fan of the Jost and Che combination on Update. They have brought a sort of freshness 
to this format that has lasted since episode one of SNL. They go more off the cuff. Uh, you know, I think they're they're now starting to get more comfortable in their position, especially as head writers. That being said, they were not good Emmys hosts. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it, it's, it's, everyone has different jobs. Some can be good at things. Others can't. Uh, but I, it just you could tell from when they stepped out. Uh, their energy was not necessarily there. The room was also kind of dead as well. So even when they were going through their monologues, you could hear like very subtle audience laughter, but nothing at least <laughs> getting piped into the audience that felt like the room was, you know, busting up. The The two highlights for me, I would say, you know, uh, that were SNL based. One was Michael Che, you know, going on a run in his monologue about how, you know, uh, people should be thanking Jesus in their acceptance speech because that's what everybody does. And that was sort of a runner that people were referencing throughout the show. And Regina King actually did do it, uh, <laughs> mentioning Che by name. But the other one, I think by far the the most successful part of Jost and Che was uh, the reparation Emmys, right. where Michael Chase said if he felt like he had to give out, you know, uh, reparations Emmys to people who never received them, and essentially it was like uh, Jimmy Walker from Good Times. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember someone from a different world. Uh, you know, it was uh, Florida. Uh, so you know, it, it's it's the he was giving them away, and the joke was also that they were uh, <laughs> Bill Cosby's confiscated Emmy awards. So sure. that was a really like I think that, was, that actually was. That actually might have been the only pre-tape. John, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but that might have been the only pre-tape that they did. Uh, and in terms of other SNL involvement, uh, the show actually opened without Justin Shea. It opened on a musical number by Keenan and Kate called We Solved It, right. uh, which was sort of like a tongue-in-cheek thing where the Emmys was really pimping itself out this year by saying it was the most diverse crop of <laughs> nominees ever. You wouldn't be able to uh, believe that if you saw who actually won the awards, but that's besides the point. And they brought on, you know, like Titus Burgess, Sterling K. Brown, Ricky Martin, Kristen Bell to ironically saying like, hey, we solved it. You know, uh, all the racial tensions are over. Uh, we had... <laughs> I constantly cut to Lorne in the audience, and the last two awards for Best Comedy and Best Drama were presented by Will Ferrell and Keenan Thompson. Uh, and the other big runner that was not that successful was uh, Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph are there, right. assumingly promoting their uh, Amazon show. And basically the runner was, oh, they're the Emmy's de facto experts, but they actually don't know anything about it, and they're trying to prepare. And it's essentially like uh, one big Garth and Cat sketch <laughs> stretched over the course of three hours. I feel for them because i could understand what they were going for and fred armison sort of always has that quirky type of humor that might not necessarily work for with a live audience but yeah it was it was a lot of whiffs unfortunately yeah. i know the emmys hit a uh a, a rate and a, a series low in terms of ratings and i don't know if that was due to the wins or whatever but i will say you know it, it was nice to see snl get acknowledged as an snl nerd that being said i don't know if jose and che looking back now were the proper people to anchor the show overall yeah, I would say this is the first train wreck episode of SNL that I've seen in recent history. Uh, that's my personal feeling. Like it was so SNL centric that you could just feel the like the SNL writer vibe to almost everything that was on screen. It was very uh, s sort of like self congratulatory. Like there was a, a ton of NBC blatant promotion and plugs, not just you know in the commercial breaks, but just. <laughs> in in the show material so it just was very heavy-handed uh the opening musical number felt like one of the worst snl musical numbers like monologues to open a, an actual snl show uh right down to keenan thompson having his little realization moment oh we didn't solve it and you know his little uh, classic keenan stare yeah you know his bewilderment moment um it was all there it felt very snl-esque but it did not feel like good snl <laughs> so uh and andy samberg dropping in from the ceiling couldn't save it um yeah 
yeah, Maya Rudolph and Fred Armisen couldn't save it. There just, there just wasn't a whole lot I could point to that was winning me over. And, uh, I feel bad because I feel like they went all in on sort of the, the Lauren Michaels take on the Emmys and, uh, yeah, just didn't work. Yeah. Though I will give shout outs here to not only SNL for winning, you know, best variety show for the second year in a row, but also mm-hmm. a winner for best guest actress in a comedy series, Tiffany Haddish, yep. which is fun. Boo Boo Jeffries is now an Emmy winner. <laughs> so uh bold prediction. I bet we're going to see her back this season. I, I can't see why they wouldn't want her back. Well, yeah, especially, well, I guess with, with, uh, you know, I know Mara, you said that uh, you sometimes it's not necessarily linked with something coming out, but you know, with night school coming out, you would assume that her or Kevin Hart would be, prime to hosting considering that kevin got the christmas spot last year i wouldn't be surprised if tiffany came back again like a very melissa mccarthy-esque she did well the first time let's bring her back immediately the next season but um kevin hart and leslie jones are apparently at war right now so uh maybe kevin hart isn't going to (laughs) be stopping by anytime soon uh i could definitely see her coming though it it seems like she's on the rise she's a great fit for the show she has a good energy why wouldn't we want to see her back um but that's probably a great way to get into a little bit of speculation so Keenan, he didn't win the Emmy, but he does have a sitcom in the works. Uh, Steve, what do you think? Is this going to get picked up? Is Keenan leaving anytime soon? Yeah. You know, if you were to ask me before uh, this recent news dropped, I probably would have said, yeah, we'll probably watch Keenan die on SNL <laughs> at some point on live television. <laughs> it's gotten really morbid all of a sudden. <laughs> hey, you know, we're, we're having fun. But yeah, the, uh, the recent news that uh, he's getting a pilot for... Was a single dad comedy vehicle, right? Obviously, we could see Keenan do that. He's so wholesome. He's you know a lovable, already recognizable figure, and I, I hope it goes well. I hope it goes better than you know Bobby's show after SNL. Right, right, yeah. It could go that way, you know, and and it easily could, and it's no one's fault. Certainly not Keenan's or Bobby's. You know, whatever the example may be. Um, yeah, uh, let's hope it works for him because why wouldn't we wish him well? We love Keenan, right? Right. Absolutely. And I'm I'm so happy that he finally got nominated for an Emmy this year. Again, say what you want to about, you know, the legitimacy of major awards like the Emmys. Uh, you know, it was interesting. I, I love A.D. Bryant. Interesting to see her get nominated this season. It's sort of like Vanessa Bear get nominated last season. where like, yeah, we like you. But was there anything you did this season that really, you know, warranted your nomination? But I was super happy to see Keenan get it because he really is just such a rock, especially mm-hmm. in this modern season. He's been there. Now he's the longest tenured cast member ever. He's beat, uh, you know, Daryl Hammond. That being said, to the point that Steve made, I feel like usually what happens is if, uh, if you know, a pilot gets picked up, even if it's Lauren Michaels based, the person's going to leave. We saw that with Sandberg with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We saw it with Bobby, with me, myself, and I. So, I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for his success. Uh, I, I fear to see what the show would be without him just because he is such, like, an underrated, uh, you know, column uh, lodestar that everyone sort of uh, <laughs> leans upon to to anchor a sketch. But that being said, if he's able to, you know, I think I saw an article in time where he talked about he's like he has a kid now, and I don't know if uh, the SNL lifestyle of like staying up all night Tuesday uh, on Mondays for the Tuesdays, you know, pitches and you know doing this week in and week out. It get you get to a certain age and it might not necessarily be a viable lifestyle. So I can understand how he might be eyeing different projects. As sad as that makes me, sure. Does Keenan really pull those late nights though? No, he doesn't. Keenan as a sort of like 
elder statesman <laughs> among the cast. Uh, he doesn't have to do the the heavy lifting and pull the all nighters. He he's kind of there on his own terms at this point. He's he's definitely in the fray. Like he's he's doing the prep work that everyone else is doing, but he doesn't have to run himself ragged like the newcomers would. So uh, SNL works for him. He wouldn't have done it as long as he's been doing it in the situation that he is, where you know middle age, family, other commitments. He wouldn't still be doing it if it was knocking him on his butt. So uh, it, it it works for him for now. Now, and we'll see how much longer it works for him when, when, uh, LA starts calling. Um, I agree with everything you guys have said. I don't really have a whole lot to add. He is an anchor on the show. There will be a hole in the show. If he goes, there's a lot of other good up and coming players, but it takes a long time to really just get to where he's at as far as his effortless ability to save even middle of the road material with just a glance or a spit take or whatever. So, uh, he's good. And the, it, it would definitely be a big blow to the show when he goes. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we also should mention that even though he did not win the Emmy for best supporting actor in a comedy, he did win an Emmy for that aforementioned comeback Barack. So sure. he could still technically go out with his head held high with an Emmy in hand. Yeah, no, he took SNL for all it's worth. Nobody is ever going to be looking at him like leaving Rockefeller Center sort of with a whimper. He's he's going to be going out triumphantly. Hmm. <laughs> there has never been a player that that's really quite gotten SNL as much as he's gotten it. So uh, Keenan's doing fine. <laughs> if a sitcom gets picked up, I, I really hope that it takes off and it just you know, it proves to be the next step for him. Cause like you guys have already mentioned, it doesn't always go that way. Even John Mulaney, you know, he's been working his way back for several years now from putting all of his time and energy into developing a sitcom that really didn't go anywhere. So, uh, it's always a gamble. I hope it pays off for him. If he gets picked up, we, oui. yeah. Uh, okay. Let's do a little bit more speculation before we call it a night. What are you guys hoping to see during season 44? Like what would really make the season for you? And uh, what have you had enough of? Like what trends with SNL have kind of grown old that you would love to see them move away from? Let's start with Mike on this one. Uh, I'm going to be echoing something that you guys have said, but I mean, I think I'm good with the cold open where Donald Trump (laughs) stands at a podium and talks about what happened in the news that week. Uh, Even if you're going to do a take on what happened in the news that week, I just want to see something fresh. That's why. I was a big fan of what they did last season with uh, Robert Mueller doing the uh, the reveal a la the very awkward Bachelor <laughs> finale where they sort of had the reveal of like, yes. I don't have the information on him. I just think I just whether or not it's funny is one thing to be said, but I just like that. I like the writers being able to flex their muscles a bit and do new takes on things. That's how we get characterizations like Don Jr. and Eric uh, and even ones as weird as Jeff Sessions, you know, so. In a perfect world, and I have sort of been, uh, you know, beating this drum on the our, our SNL podcast beforehand. I would love the cold opens, and specifically the political characterizations. To a, I understand, you know, wanting to bring celebrities in for big pops. I, I, I know it's probably a, a, you know, a wish that will not be fulfilled. But I would love to see cast members fill that roles more, and I would love to see, uh, you know, material being focused around more innovative takes on the news that week, which I know is easier said than done <laughs> as for any prediction that I'm making. It's, it's tough to say, but I will say, I think with a star is born coming out and already getting pretty big buzz. I would not be surprised if we get a lady Gaga, a dual host musical episode coming up in the next couple weeks. Yes. Uh, you're not the only one uh, making that assumption. It does seem like she's definitely poised and, and in the right position right now to take another run at SNL. And she's a friend of the show. Like she's always been game when she showed up and uh, they like her there. So I, I could totally see her coming back. This would be her third hosting gig, right? If she came back. 
I think I think she's hosted two times. I think she's appeared like three or four. Right. I remember she did. She, I remember she she shared a Timberlake slot. I remember that. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But anyway, she's she's definitely comfortable with the show, and the show likes her. So yeah, if if she finds her way back, I would not be surprised. Um, what do you got, Mario? Any uh, predictions for season forty four? Um, well, I'll just, uh, back, go right on the piggyback of what Mike <laughs> said that the, uh, code opening and the Trump stuff is just embarrassing how bad it is. And I know they love that they're doing it and everyone's, you know, resist and stand up to Trump, but I could do with a lot less Alec Baldwin as Trump. I could do with a lot less of those dumb cold openings, which are the exact same thing as exactly like Mike said. It's the exact same thing over and over. Right. There's no nuance, but there's nothing clever about it. And here's what I could really do without. It's that SNL getting rewarded for that behavior with an <laughs> Emmy, which is just crap. And that's just Hollywood just filleting itself because they're so brave to stand up to Trump. So I could really do without SNL being rewarded for that. And because they got the Emmy, they're going to just do more of it this season. So that's my prediction. Other than that, I like pretty much everything about the show. I think uh, Jost and Shay are great on update. I love the cast. I'm especially a fan of Heidi Gardner. I think she is going to be the next big thing on SNL. I've been saying that week in and week out on our SNL Funhouse, how amazing she is. And uh, for predictions, yeah, the Lady Gaga thing makes sense. There's a couple hosts that have hosted before that have been on my bucket list for years to come back and host again. And we already got Adam Driver, so I'm so excited about him. I would love to see Neil Patrick Harris come back and host again. Okay. Oh, that's been it's been it's been a while. It's been like ten years, right? Yeah, that's the thing. I don't care how long it's been. He's only hosted <laughs> once, and he's like an all time great in that one appearance. Let's let's pull some strings, get him in there again. And one other host, I'm just going to say a name at random that I would love to see again because I think she is one of the all time great hosts that never gets credit for it. I want to see Anne Hathaway on there again. I think she is mm. so good on SNL. I would love to see. So if you can, you've already got Adam Driver. If you can hit my trifecta of <laughs> Anne Hathaway and Neil Patrick Harris, I'd be so excited. But otherwise, I just, I'm very excited about this era. All the Trump crap aside, I think it's so refreshing and so neat that we have an era that almost has no recurring characters. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's how really how SNL's gone the last six or seven years. Once they got rid of Kristen Wiig, she was, you know, clogging the show up with so many recurring things that they had to keep doing. Once they, she left, it's been almost no recurring characters since there, which, which I think is how SNL should be. I think it's very creative. It's a writer's show now. There's lots of innovative stuff. So I really hope they can focus on that more despite all the obligatory Trump stuff they have to put at the start just so they can get their Emmy. Fair enough. That is the kind of uh, provocative discussion that our audience can expect to find every month on the Month in Review <laughs> SNL podcast on Off Weeks. Um, Steve, take us home. What do you got? What do I got? Yeah. If you want to hear my two cents about speculation and all that jazz, uh, you know, let's talk about Alec Baldwin as Trump. We're not surprised. You know, we were... Me and John were talking about how it could have gone either way. We were half expecting him to come back, so nobody's jaws on the floor. Right. Yeah. The question now is how how far are they going to extend with this consistency between the previous season and this current one? Are we still going to get the revolving door of cameos? You know, in the premiere, are we going to get the cast of Meet the Fockers show up? <laughs> right. <laughs> it could go that way. It could be more of Kate doing half the impressions herself. There's a few motifs that they could stick with, which has definitely been, you know, played to some success, but how long until it truly dries out and, and some would think it already has. So that's the kind of stuff I'm wondering, uh, you know, what's going to be the same, what's going to change. All we know now is that we get Baldwin as Trump. Mm. We don't know what else they, they plan to keep that way, but, uh, 
I'm at least hoping for uh, for Don Jr. and Eric. <laughs> sure. You guys know I love love those two. I like them. They're strong. Yeah. If there's one saving grace for their political material on the show, it, it definitely is those two. Yeah. Um, Lauren Michaels was interviewed on the red carpet outside the Emmys, and he made a point that I think is pretty obvious, but no one's really just put it into words. He said, at this point, no one really wants to follow Alec Baldwin as Trump. Like it's almost like if they were to give the role to someone in the cast, they'd be setting themselves up for disaster. The super nerds would laud the change, but the public at large would be like, okay, we're replacing someone that we know and we're familiar with, with someone that we don't care about. You know, it's an unknown player, just someone that doesn't have anything that we want to see from Trump. So, Mm. uh, it's purely a matter of, expectation now that Alec Baldwin is Trump and they're not looking. He didn't give any indication that they want to transition the role to a a staff player or bring in someone specifically to do that. Like actually bring on a player that would be a a great replacement Trump. Uh, We're now two plus years into Trump's presidency. I I think we're just riding it out. So my bold prediction is uh, they've announced Alec Baldwin staying for the season. I have a feeling he's staying for the season. Mm. If they use him sparingly, my, my feeling is, one per run, give them eight per year, uh, and then find something really inspired to do with them. Like you guys said, get away from the podium, weekend review type of stuff, and figure out how to run at it creatively. Like that fusion when they did The Bachelor, I lauded that at the time as a really, really clever and challenging way to open the show. And I want to see more of it. Even if it falls flat, just take the risk because it'll inspire the writers to be more adventurous with their material. If they see a few of those kind of cold opens get produced. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm hope I'm hoping for them to freshen up and find a new way to run at the, the political stuff. And like everyone else is saying, I'd, I'd just love to see more opportunity for the players to really uh, stand up and, and shine and, and get some, some more roles and just some more notoriety for bringing something special to the show and not necessarily be overshadowed by uh, as many cameos as we've gotten accustomed to. Yep. Yeah. And to that point, uh, I will also say that, like, yeah, aside from that sticking point, we talked about this at the at the end of our season 43, but I really feel like season 43, the first half, the end of 2017, was a little rough. Mm-hmm. But I feel like once they sort of locked down the, the head writers and they decided to, to really figure out, you know, what was going on, I feel like the back half of season 43 was actually pretty darn strong. With the exception of the Tina Fey episode, I thought that kind of ended on a thud. <laughs> but hopefully they sort of keep with that momentum. It's always interesting coming back from a break, especially when they're going to do about three, ep- three or four episodes in a row to see sort of how they warm up into things. But considering how they really... I thought, you know, built to a pretty strong finish last season. It right. gives me hope that they be able to do so this season as well. Right. We're not kicking off the season with a big shakeup with the head writers where the show has to find their footing or a lot of turnover in the writer room. Um, we have Brian Tucker stepping down to sort of a less prominent writing role, but otherwise, uh, Kent Sublette and, uh, Jostin Che are sticking around. So they already kind of know the game and know where they want to take the show and they're going to be able to carry that through. So I think we will see a more steady approach to the show than we got during the first half last season. Uh, and I felt the exact same way. That was kind of my running commentary through last season was it felt like it was a slow ramp up while they got their footing, but then the back half of the season really turned out some, some really great material. So, uh, yeah, if they can keep that momentum going, fantastic. I'm excited to see if they are able to, to really, uh, keep pace with where we left off in season 43. Yeah, I agreed. Yeah, man. Cool. This was a lot of fun and I'm super excited to have you guys on board. Happy to be here. I think this is a great way to really up our game and just bring more to the SNL fans that really would love something to tune into on the off weeks when they don't have anything new coming out of 8H. They they still want to be connected and just get a sense of 
where people are at with the show and, and, you know, get a little bit of respite from me and Steve's maybe overly specific technical analysis of the show. Uh, fresh voices are always welcome. And, and yeah, I'm really excited to, to see how this all unfolds. Cool. Yeah. And that being said, uh, you know, Mario and I will probably still be putting stuff out there on social media about our, mm. our random thoughts on SNL during the weeks where we're not podcasting. I know that uh, I usually do like a running rankings list of episodes as they progress over the course of the season. So you can always, you know, check us out on social media. I'm sure we'll have stuff to say even in the weeks when we're not podcasting about it on mic. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun. Glad to have you on board. Thank you. Yeah. Great to have you. And with that said, that's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. And thanks as well to Mike Bloom and Mario Lanza. You can connect with Mike and Mario on Twitter at a Mike Bloom type and at Mario J Lanza respectively. And finally, a special thanks to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Jonathan Jordan, and Aaron and Trader. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back soon when SNL returns for its 44th season premiere with host Adam Driver and musical guest Kanye West. Until then, this has been episode number 54 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night. Have a pleasant tomorrow. You know, as a black comedian for so many years, our TV legends and heroes have gone unrecognized, you know? So this year as host, I took it upon myself to finally right some of those wrongs. I present... The Reparations Emmys. Excuse me, Miss Marla Gibbs? Yes? We would like to present to you this Reparations Emmy. Well, your role as Florence the Maid is the reason why I got fired from every service job I've ever had. Well, thank you. I think. Is this the real Emmy? Yes, yeah, the real thing. What do you think? Man, I can't. I cannot believe this. I just got one word for this thing. Well, say it. It is dynamic. <laughs> the Dean Hardison. Man, what up, Jay? Man, your character as Dwayne Wayne on a different world. I don't think you realize how many young brothers you actually inspired to go to college. Well, I'm glad you went to college, bro. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, because I went to college. Man, Jaleel, Steve Urkel was the OG black nerd. I mean, if it wasn't for you, there'd be no Donald Glover. There'd be no Kanye West. There'd be no Obama. Did I do that? Yeah, man. You did that.